Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz, and we have another game to preview on the Penn State football schedule. It's the final scheduled road matchup for these Nittany Lions in 2020 as they hit the road, head to Piscataway, New Jersey for a matchup against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. We are recording here on a sunny day in Happy Valley. I'll be hitting the road within the next couple hours and and heading east to to the campus that I know quite well after spending four years there uh, about 15 years ago almost. Um, But we're going to get a lot of different kind of weather. I'm looking out the window. It's blue skies now. We just checked the forecast uh, for Piscataway. A lot of rain moving through, high winds moving through. We could be looking at a messy situation for this game. Kickoff at noon. And Sean, before we dive into it, uh, that weather forecast, that's that's a factor. That's going to be a big factor for, for this matchup potentially. I think so, because you look at what uh, some of the matchups when when you're breaking it down between Penn State and Rutgers, it, you know, just some of those subtle matchups where you're talking about Aaron Cruikshank, the uh, you know the transfer from Wisconsin, uh, had a hundred yard kickoff return last week against Purdue. What does this do with Jordan Stout's kickoffs? I mean, is is he going to be able to reach the end zone? Obviously, you you've done a good job of neutralizing returners to this point uh, in the season, but at the same time, I mean, you've got uh, I think Gust I saw up to fifty miles an hour or something like that. So so that that could be a big factor for for that, and you you give Crookshank shots at making plays, and he's going to do it. So I think that that certainly comes into play. You look at what other teams have had been successful throwing at their safeties. So obviously pushing the ball down the field, and you know if you got big Gus, you don't have um, you know a huge arm in Sean Clifford. So that that could be a factor in in you know just kind of I think I think there are a couple things that are kind of leaning Rutgers' way in in terms of bad weather games, and when you're talking about um, a couple of teams that frankly, aren't very good. You know, any, any advantage that, that that can go toward the home team is is going to be big. So I think you're right. I think weather could play a factor into this. It, you know, if Penn State's running the ball like they did last week, it certainly could be helpful and Rutgers can be run on. But at the same time, just those little, I don't want to call them mismatches, but, you know, sort of tipping the scale in one direction uh, certainly could be uh, something to watch tomorrow. We'll leave the rest to AccuWeather on, on the weather front. But in terms of the football game, Look, I think this motivation is going to be the defining factor. Whether will play a role, uh, but certainly a Rutgers team that when we talk to these Penn State players and when you hear it from uh, James Franklin, the thing they say is this team is fighting. This it's it's a different kind of tempo from this Rutgers team in a lot of different ways. Offensively, they're attacking you differently. Uh, with Sean Gleason, who's proven to be a pretty imaginative play caller after a year at Oklahoma State, previously at Princeton, uh, now with the Scarlet Knights, and and of course with Greg Schiano, the mo for him, his last go round was intensity um, and building up Rutgers uh, to a spot where they had not been. They have fallen back into the abyss since he had left, and and you know they they offered him the keys to the castle this past winter, and very quickly you've seen a progression from this program despite the circumstances circumstances in 2020 that everyone in college football is dealing with. Um, I will say, Sean, it's going to be very strange, a spot that I probably could have never predicted myself being in. Uh, back at, uh, back at, uh, I'm calling it Rutgers Stadium. I know it's SHI Stadium now, I believe. Uh, but back there watching my old boss go to work against the team that I've now spent four seasons covering it is a very strange dynamic uh, in play for me, and and certainly um, as we'll get to the predictions a little bit later, I, I'm leaning towards Penn State to win this game. Um, but it, it's it's a bizarre circumstance because I didn't think I'd ever see Greg Schiano coaching a Rutgers team again once he left for the NFL. 
certainly didn't think I'd see him coaching against the team that I currently cover. Um, you know, 12 years ago was the last time I called him my boss. But you know, when when you're young and and it's early in your career and you're working in that intense environment, something that that doesn't really leave your mindset, it doesn't really leave your professional resume. Even the further you get away from it, it's it's still pretty fresh in my head those years. Well, you know that a lot of people have great respect for what Greg Schiano did at Rutgers, and you know, just obviously had had a nice run at Ohio State as well. But um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you kind of get not the same team every time you play them, but you get the same profile of team. And and these guys play hard. They play you know aggressive. Um, you know, they play I think above their talent level because they these coaches understand what position to put them in and they I think they understand their limitations which is a very tough thing for coaches to do at times is to is to understand what they have on the roster and, and work with that and that's been something that um, Rutgers has really excelled at uh, trick plays are certainly something that they go to fairly often because of it and you know just kind of keep things simple and keep things uh, you know just flowing in that direction and then you get some buy-in you get those guys you know they've got some guys from New Jersey making plays they've got a ton of transfers on that roster some have been good some have not been good but at the same time you've got a lot of buy-in there and it's it's really a testament to what he's done I mean I think they've exceeded expectations already I mean they exceeded expectations in week one by beating Michigan State so I think the the you know he's on his way to to doing what you can in that program and I know that the ceiling is not particularly high especially playing in the Big Ten East but you know you can snipe some of these victories sometime and and you know they really weren't expected to do it so far and to their credit, they've come out and do it. Now, I will say this about Rutgers. You look at the the last few matchups against Penn State, and, you know, they've played them typically tougher than you would think. You know, you just obviously you, you think of Rutgers as the, as the bottom feeder in the Big Ten. But at the same time, I mean, they've, you know, kept it at least somewhat close. I mean, when you're talking about losing by 60 to Ohio State and Michigan and everything like that, when you cut it to 30 or whatever, 20s, put it in the 20s to Penn State, it's it's certainly notable. So I think Rutgers plays hard. I think this is, is a, a reflection of how they are coached and how they are sort of taught to uh, to make this their Super Bowl sort of. It's kind of like when Penn State has played Pitt over the last couple of seasons. Uh, you know, Pitt obviously – was on the, the the flip side of the talent level there, but they, it was a reflection of their coach. They they had that chip on their shoulder, and they certainly played you know hard into that situation. Now, of course, Penn State blew them out two years ago, and then last year it was close. Um, but I think it's c- kind of the same sort of thing. There's a, there's a lot of chips on a lot of shoulders here, especially from those New Jersey guys. Not a lot of them had the opportunity to go play at Penn State, and they carried that with them into college. And those transfers are obviously dealing with the, you know, the perception, whether it's right or wrong, that they weren't good enough to go to a higher caliber uh, Big Ten program or Power Five program and make it work. So they had to head back home to New Jersey and try to make it work at, at Rutgers. Those are the kind of uh, emotional uh, investments that they have on this team right now. I think what you're going to wa- watch and see with Rutgers um, big picture with Greg Schiano is what can he do on the recruiting trail, spinning off some success on the on the field 2006 this team was on beaten into November you really saw a payoff in 2008 and 2007 with some recruiting classes it takes a little bit of time it will take longer uh, considering where they have been with their in-state recruiting and, and programs like Penn State have plundered New Jersey and taken advantage of that but here's the deal Sean 21 game losing streak in the Big Ten entering 2020 for the Scarlet Knights 21 straight losses in the conference they are two and four 
They went to three overtimes against Michigan a couple weeks ago in a game that they were up 17-0, and they lost on a last-second field goal against Illinois. During that 21-game losing streak, there were not many competitive games where you said, oh, it could have swung either way for the Scarlet Knights. And you mentioned something interesting about the, the recent matchups against Rutgers for Penn State, and these were in different circumstances where typically this is, and I've been, I've, I just told you this, I feel like it's still November because this is usually like a mid-November to late-November matchup, and we're keeping an eye on the bowl situation and, and keeping an eye on the Big Ten championship situation. That's not the case this year. We're, 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 we're into December. Uh, the, the bowl situation, the Big Ten stuff is kind of out of mind at this point. You're looking for, for Penn State to pick up some wins and, and some pride along the way. But the last few times they've met, you know, it's been a nine or ten win Penn State team that has come in and kind of slept walk its way through the early stages or, or even into the latter stages of the game. It's been a lot of one possession games going into the third quarter or even the fourth quarter. A couple of years ago in Piscataway, when you had Trace McSorley as the quarterback of this team, um, I believe that was the first game that Micah Parsons actually started in his career because of a suspension elsewhere in the in the linebacker unit feels like forever ago, but it was just two years ago. Um, that was a game that, that that was hanging in the balance into the fourth quarter, and, and Rutgers had a drop pass in the end zone. So for whatever reason, even in an era led by Chris Ash that was really defined by lackluster performances and, and blowouts, um, they kept it together. And, but I think a lot of that has been to do with Penn State maybe coming off an emotional game elsewhere or just not really putting all of its eggs in the basket um, uh, for, mentally for a game against Rutgers. That can't be the case this time around. There's no excuse for it, Sean. And that's why I brought up motivation after we talked about the weather, because I do think that's the biggest factor. Rutgers, there's no doubt it's a motivated team right now. They're looking to establish something. They're looking to create something um, long-term. They can feel that ball rolling in the right direction. Penn State finally got a little bit of that taste back in their mouth with the win at Michigan, which I know the Wolverines are what they are this year, as we talked about on the postgame podcast. But it, it, it's an impressive win to go to Ann Arbor, win by 10 points, considering where they were coming from from those first five games and the way they were being viewed um, uh, externally about that program. So can Penn State build off that? Can they take another step? And I think the first sign is, do they come out against Rutgers energetic, enthused, Right up, get punched in the mouth and punched back because you know this Greg Schiano team is going to come out. They're going to want to make a statement. Penn State needs to view this as not just visiting the basement. Uh, because they're in that basement right now in the Big Ten. They need to view this as as going and handling business and getting their ball continuing to roll in the right direction. Um, to me, there's just no excuse if this Penn State team from the coaching staff on down uh, is not fired up, motivated, ready to play. Uh, throw the records aside. I know it's one and five versus two and four, but I anticipate we're going to see uh, you know s- some pretty, pretty uh, fiery football on the field this Saturday. And if we don't, I think that'll be because Penn State didn't show up ready to play. Please throw the records aside if you could. Just that—that's all—that's all we need for this season. Just throw the records aside. Um, but I agree with that. If you come out um, sort of condescending toward Rutgers, you're you're going to have a problem. And that's the thing that you know. If you act like you you're going to win this game because you should win this game, and that's a situation that we've seen. You know, I think that that Penn State kind of coached the start of the Maryland game like that, and that's cer- certainly something you can't do, especially in this uh, situation that we're in in 2020. So. If you play like that, if you come out like that, if you, you know, you should, you should beat Rutgers. I, I think there's no question about it. But at the same time, if you come out thinking that it'll take care of itself, that's when problems happen. And that's when you, you know, sort of slip behind and, and, and slip up. So I think that, I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, you go back, uh, to 2016 and I have the stats up here. I forgot it was this bad, but, uh, Rutgers and, and granted, by the time they played Penn State, 
not really a ton to play for, but lost to Ohio State 58-0, lost to Michigan 78-0, lost to Michigan State 49-0, lost to Penn State 39-0, and that, now that granted, more awful weather. I think that was a day that was like snow with lightning behind it or something before not the game. Not competitive at all, and I, that was the story for like the last three years. I mean, it, it, there's no spark, and all of a sudden, you see this team fall behind on the road at Purdue last week by double digits. And, and, and they don't roll up in the fetal position. That was kind of Rutgers' M.O. When they got punched during recent seasons, they stayed down and it got ugly. Yeah, it was. It's been it's been interesting to watch this team because you know every, I think everybody watched or a lot of people that were up late waiting for the post game podcast that week uh, watched the Rutgers Michigan game and you know that's another game where you know you Michigan's supposed to beat Rutgers. That's what happens. That's what happens in college football. And you know Michigan kind of got slapped in the mouth and um, you know it's kind of a reverse script to what they saw at Purdue last weekend. But you know Rutgers played hard all the way up to the end. I mean you you I think the talent kind of showed through at the end and and. So Sort of the cream rose, and, and we saw, you know, Michigan's obviously got big problems, but they were able to to get it done. Um, yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting. I don't think there's been a script for for Rutgers football this year. It's been kind of all over the map, um, and it's been, you know, I, I don't want to say it's been fun to watch, but it's cool to see those guys play as hard as they do, and that's something that's kind of lost at times, and something that we kind of criticized Penn State for, you know, over that 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 couple week stretch with uh, with Maryland and, and Nebraska, where you just kind of get frustrated and you you don't see the fire, and you're gonna see the fire with Rutgers, and whether that leads to a Rutgers win or not, I, I, I personally don't think so, but at the same time. It's it, it's certainly not the the pushover that you always think of when you think of Rutgers. I think it's fair to say that energy has been lacking on a lot of college campuses with a lot of college football programs here in 2020, particularly after they got off to a, a rough start. Um, and, that, and that goes across the country, across the Power 5 landscape. We've seen it happen. Energy is not lacking. Energy is on the rise for Rutgers right now. So that's why Penn State needs to be able to match that intensity because they do, there's no doubt about it, have a significant margin, a significant cushion in terms of that talent and and, and what they've brought in from the recruiting trail um, at, at Penn State versus what they have at Rutgers. This is a, a kind of a slap it together with duct tape and glue situation where it's it's holdovers from the past regime, guys that I don't think Shiano would have recruited himself. You've got you know, seniors and juniors coming in from other programs as transfer players. Uh, and, and then, you know, you've, you've got other guys who you probably thought were going to transfer out of Rutgers, and then they saw Shiano came to town and, and they stayed with Rutgers. So, Look, Penn State, there's a lot to like in, in, in a normal situation. If you put these two teams side by side, you say, oh, Penn State's going to deliver you know, a blowout win. But what we've seen in 2020 and what we've seen in this series of late suggests that we may be in for a four-quarter game. That's what the betting line would suggest as well compared to what it's been in, in recent years. So we'll give you our predictions a little bit later in the show. We're also going to dive a lot deeper into this Rutgers team uh, with Bobby Darren from Scarlet Nation, uh, which is the 24-7 sports Rutgers site. Uh, there's a quarterback injury in play here with Noah Vedral, who's been the starter for Rutgers. He was not on the field against Purdue after pregame warm-ups. Arthur Sikowski got the start. Johnny Langan has been involved as a running quarterback. We talked about two quarterbacks being involved uh, for Penn State. We'll probably see that again on the field on Saturday. They've got three quarterbacks potentially uh, entering the mix at, at Rutgers here in Shiano's first year. Uh, Bo Melton, an interesting receiver who was a, a Big Ten blue chip prospect, one of the few that Rutgers signed uh, during the Ash era. And then additionally, uh, you, you've got a, a really impressive kick returner who Sean mentioned at the top of the show, and Aaron Cruikshank, uh, who was 
on Penn State's radar uh, as a recruit a few years ago, and then last year ended up returning a, a kickoff in the uh, Rose Bowl for a touchdown. So uh, interesting track record. He returned one last week against Purdue. Jordan Stout, kickoff specialist for Penn State, has has taken some lumps over recent weeks. He had two at, go out of bounds last week, did not have a good performance on the road at Nebraska. So here's his latest road matchup, and they're going to need him to deliver. Win's going to be an issue, and, and there is a dangerous threat back there. But bringing it back to Penn State, bringing that focus to the Nittany Lions, Sean, just kind of going over some bullet points of what we're anticipating this week, some key questions for Penn State, something we addressed um, earlier this week on our first episode was Devin Ford is expected to return, uh, be back in the lineup for Penn State. Now, there's an or designation on the depth chart with Kevon Leaves coming off the Big Ten Freshman of the Week performance at Michigan. We said we both like Devin Ford as a complimentary back going into the season. Is that kind of the role he's relegated to now? You know, that, that's a question to wonder here because I think if, if the win's going to be a factor, if you're looking at a, 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 the rain maybe still being a, a factor going into this game, it may be done by then. Running game is going to need to get it done. You're going to need to get it done up front. Would seem to favor uh, the rushing style of Kevon Lee, who can break those tackles and fall forward and help you stay on schedule. Uh, but, you know, Devin Ford coming back, that, that's part of the talent gap. This is a former top 100 prospect in a matchup where uh, Rutgers is not filled with stars on defense. And, and if you look at what Penn State likes to do with, with guys like that is get them, you know, involved in the passing game, the short passing game. If the wind is a factor, that's certainly something that could come into play as well. I do agree that you got to ride Lee right now. I mean, you, obviously, you know, nobody likes to go on the road and, and, and trust true freshmen at, at any position, but you're in the spot where you're going to have to do that. Not do it only a few, with Lee. On a few occasions here. Yeah. yeah. Not only with Lee, but with Parker Washington. I think Theo Johnson can come into play here down the stretch as well. So, I mean, you've got to, you certainly got the opportunity and, you know, six games in, or I guess this will be the seventh game in, you know, are, are you really that those true freshmen anymore? We will see what happens with that. Um, you know, I, I know Devin Ford's taken a lot of lumps. I still think he's got some talent, and I, I do agree that you use him in a, in a change of pace role and a complementary role. He can be more effective. I think I said it earlier this week. You give him five carries, it might be more effective than giving him 15. So we will see what happens with Devin Ford. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you need all those bodies back there. And, uh, you know, Keziah Holmes does give you something a little bit different. Um, but Lee, to me, is, has to be the guy. And Penn State's going to run the ball 50 times this week. So, I mean, it's it, it's – it's one of those situations where you're trying to to control what you can control, and I wouldn't be shocked if Lee ended up with 25 of those carries. And Will Levis, let's not forget the factor that he could play in the run game. He's also a guy that that they believe can break those tackles and 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 fall forward. And he has and shown he that over, he games. went over 100 last year against Rutgers. Right? He did. Yeah, he was a starter. He went under 100 as a passer against Rutgers, which is a concern. But yeah, he went we're, over. We're not going to talk about that part. But he went over 100 <laughs> as a runner um, in that Rutgers game last year. He did throw one touchdown pass that went to Jahan Dotson. Dotson coming off one of his quiet performances. They, there haven't been many. Um, I think at Nebraska and then. Uh, uh, and, and at Michigan, um, and quiet is, is a relative term because he had key conversions uh, down the stretch at Michigan. But uh, a guy who's been going over 90 yards receiving, been catching a touchdowns on routine basis. You look for him in a matchup like this, I think, uh, to come up big and, and kind of you know show his status as, as, as an emerging star in the Big Ten. I've talked about Bo Melton on the other side, and we'll talk about him with Bobby Darren. Um, Jahan Dotson has a better supporting cast around him as in terms of offensive arsenal. And this feels like a spot for him to step up against this Rutgers defensive secondary. Yeah, the secondary is the spot, and obviously the wind will come into play here. But you look at where Penn State or where Rutgers is vulnerable, and I think they can really work those safeties. Christian Izian has been kind of a liability, and you look at 
what teams have done that have played Rutgers is go after number zero. And I think that that's certainly uh, there. I think uh, the Ohio State transfer, Brendan White, I think his name is, um, has also been back there. Safety play has not been good. I don't think this is going to be a uh, – uh, a perfect example of safety play on either side of the ball this week. Uh, so we will see how that plays out. But yeah, I think you definitely want to attack them. I want to see if they can, you know, maybe that's another spot that Theo Johnson can come in or Brenton Strange. You get over the middle. Parker Washington's a guy that's had some success there and, you know, maybe turn one of those slants into something, you know, ends up 70 yards down the field all of a sudden. So we'll see what happens with that. But I, I, I do agree with you. You go right after that secondary and see if you can make some big plays. I know uh, the, the weather is going to factor in, but at the same time, you, you want to pick your spots and make those safe throws and, you know, try and keep the ball to the outside, keep it away from the defense. And I know that's been a struggle for Sean Clifford, um, which is funny because I was watching this week, obviously Trace McSorley, and, you know, you'll talk about Trace a little bit later, um, but Trace looking at his highlights from Penn State, when he missed outside, you know, to the sideline, obviously he had great playmakers to go get him the ball, but he didn't miss very often to the inside and he didn't have a ton of picks because of it. That's been an issue with Sean Clifford. He needs to, to, to uh, clean that up, certainly going down the stretch. And if he can do that, he can have a similar stat line to what he had at Michigan last week. It's crucial for this offense, if, if we want to see more steps forward this year, that you can attack over the middle through the air. It's very important. What we saw last week from Sean Clifford um, was good misses. You know, uh, Some of those passes were not pretty, but they, they floated out of bounds or they went downfield beyond where defenders could get them. That is a change of pace from what we've seen from Sean Clifford. You'll take those incompletions because you get another down or you get to punt the football and let your defense try to make a play. You're not creating a momentum-swinging play for the opponent on an interception or, or allowing them to get their hands on the ball, maybe and that's get a the last, tip. And that's the last thing you need, you know, against a team like Rutgers is giving them the ball early. Yes. And I mean, that's obviously what happened, you know, against Nebraska, which is a bad, bad team. Uh, I'm not sure that, I mean, I don't think Nebraska would beat Rutgers. And, and that's really kind of, when you're looking back at this season, that's the one that kind of kills you. And you just give them the ball and that's kind of what happens. You can't do that with, against a team like Rutgers because I think they even believe a heck of a lot more than Nebraska does. You do not want to fuel this fire for, for Rutgers in this situation. Um, you, you want Easy to try there, Homer. Easy there, Rutgers, Homer. Uh, no, what I'm saying <laughs> is you don't want to give them more belief than they're already going to have coming into this game. I think an issue for Rutgers against Penn State has been believing that they could actually beat Penn State, even when Penn State's not playing their best football. I have a feeling they're going to come out of the gates feeling like they can. Penn State, if you open the door, if Sean Clifford throws an errant pass, if, if he fumbles the football, if you get a couple costly mistakes early on in this game, that's going to set you up for, for a fight across the board. I still think, despite the fact that this team comes in with some energy, if you can punch Rutgers in the mouth a bit here, avoid those costly mistakes, maybe establish that run, get up by a couple possessions in the first half like you did last week, I don't know if this Rutgers team will be ready to respond in a way like it did against a team like Purdue. Um, I do have questions about that. I do have questions about uh, uh, that against Penn State. So I, that's where I'm coming from here. I think if, if Clifford can avoid those costly mistakes that have been so crucial, and, and unfortunately they've come early um, in, in, in some of these matchups, I mean, that, that that's just I, – I do think there's an opportunity here if Penn State does build an early cushion where they could win somewhat comfortably, but – 
Penn State early cushions, that is not something we've seen here in 2020. That's a thing of the past. So uh, we'll learn more about that. I think conversely on the defensive side of the football, I, I don't know how much Rutgers is going to try to attack downfield um, in, in this weather condition. I don't know about the quarterback quarterback health right now either. Uh, but cornerbacks have played well for Penn State. But they've been very thin. You've got Keaton Ellis out last week. You had Tariq Castro-Fields out for the last three weeks. Um, Joey Porter Jr., Daquan Hardy, Marquise Wilson. Franklin seems optimistic they're going to get a fourth guy in that mix, maybe a fifth guy. So maybe it's Castro-Fields, maybe actually stays on the field after going through pregame warm-ups. That has not been the case of late. Um, I think that would be important, but... We're talking about perimeter stuff here. We're talking about skill players. To me, the biggest potential advantage for Penn State in this game, Sean, is in the trenches, defensively, offensively. That's where I think you see such a separation as well in terms of talent, where the recruiting can show through. You know, did Penn State find its stride? I, we kind of said this at, at Nebraska about the way they ran the football, and then they came out against Iowa and, and couldn't get it done in any way, shape, or form. But did Penn State find something against Michigan? Have, have they found something with, with this uh, formula that they have on the offensive front with Caden uh, Wallace getting the majority of reps at right tackle and, and Will Fries at right guard? And that's been the case now for a few games. And now you've got this downhill runner with Kevon Lee and you're factoring in Sean Clifford and Will Levis into the run game in a pretty significant way. Um, and then defensively, uh, look, we've seen Akeem Beeman make strides. PJ Mustafer is coming off one of his strongest games of his college career. Um, you've You've got the the talented defensive end duo off the edge with, with Shaka Tony and Jason Away. I think Adiza Isaac. You know, this is a kind of uh, this where you have an athletic advantage off the edge against this Rutgers offensive line. Uh, there's just a lot of to me exploitable opportunities for Penn State at the front end of this thing on offense and defense where they can establish themselves, they can build that cushion, and where the wind is dictating things for both offenses, that can lead to some costly mistakes on the other end of the field for Rutgers. If they start to get aggressive and can't produce and execute, that's where then you know, your cornerbacks make a play. Maybe your linebackers can step up and make a play, but I feel like the front end of both sides of the football here should be quite advantageous for the Nittany Lions. You know, Again, logic has been thrown out in a lot of ways over the course of these six games. But just looking at this matchup, that's where I feel like the Nittany Lions can assert themselves early and maybe you know beat up Rutgers late and put this one away. You think of what Penn State did on the ground last week, Rutgers against Michigan a couple of weeks ago, 40 carries for 105 yards. That's just 2.6 yards per carry. So, And, and they've changed some things up. Obviously, Johnny Langan, his, uh, the third string quarterback, has played some sort of wildcat sort of hybrid type thing um, where he got 22 carries last week against Purdue. I think he only had three against uh, Michigan or four against Michigan. Um, so yeah, I think that that's going to be something where you kind of are able to stack a little bit. And, and given how Penn State's linebackers have played, this isn't a fast offense that's going to you know spread you out and, and try and move you around. Now, where that comes into play, and you mentioned the cornerbacks, I think it's going to be very important. Cornerbacks are going to be tackling because they like to show throw those short balls. They like to get the ball out very quickly near the line of scrimmage. They've got uh, Shameen Jones is excuse me, their leading receiver. He had seven for 127 against Michigan. Bo Melton, is it, it could be a problem. I mean, you get him the ball in space and he can do some things. He's a very talented player. And, and of course, Crookshank as well. So they've got those shifty guys that if they shake a tackle, that that could be an issue. So I think that the corners, um, their, their tackling is going to be probably an underrated aspect going into this game. Now, going back to the line of scrimmage, I think on both sides of the ball, you have an advantage there. You, you should be able to run the ball. You should be able to you know run the ball fairly consistently. And, and 
I don't know that it's going to result in 80-yard touchdowns or anything like that, but you, you can control the thing. I, I think this is a game and – this is a game in a probably in a typical situation where you don't see a ton of throwing the ball anyway, and then you bring 30, 40, 50 mile an hour wins into it. All of a sudden, both teams carrying the ball at a little bit more of a, of a clip. So I think that'll be interesting. I think Penn State holds the advantage on both sides. Those defensive tackles have to be very good. I think PJ Mustafer made some strides last week, and I think he was Penn State's defensive player of the week uh, from the team. So I, I think that that kind of plays into what Penn State's doing. We talked about the advantages that Rutgers would have because of the scenario and the, the circumstances on Saturday. That might be something that, that tips that tips its way in the way of Penn State. And the offensive line, um, you know, let's see it. Let, let's see it back-to-back games for Penn State. It, this is not the game you want to come away from hearing, well, it takes a while to get technique down. It takes a while to make this transition. There was no spring ball. We didn't have contact periods. Well, you know, this is a new Rutgers staff too, and this is an offensive line that you'd love to see finish out this season on a high note. It has been very hit or miss and often miss. Um, this seems like a matchup where they should be able to have their way, and that would be huge uh, for the ground game and, and for giving your quarterback some time here. But, Sean, um, we mentioned Sean Clifford, the mistakes, and that's been kind of a defining factor as Penn State went to 0-5. Um, we did get Kirk Sharaka, his quarterback's coach, his offensive coordinator, on the phone, uh, on Zoom, I should say, on Thursday. This is the first time we've had Kirk Sharaka available for a media session uh, since September. So that was uh, a lot has changed, Sean, needless to say, since we last spoke with Kirk. This was not Kirk Sharaka ducking interviews. This is Penn State putting their coaching staff on a rotation. We started off with the coordinators in late September, worked our way through each and every positional coach on a week-by-week basis on these Thursday calls, and now we came back to Kirk. And uh, pretty lengthy conversation, 20-plus minutes. It's all up online, 247.com. We have the transcript of it, and we have the full video of it. Um, I'd recommend watching it if you're trying to wrap your head around what you've seen from the offense. But he feels like Clifford was pressing to play too perfectly um, over the course of, of those five games where there was a lot of struggles and he was benched and then reinserted. He did laud the work ethic of Sean Clifford, says there is zero doubt about that. Uh, really impressed by how both of these quarterbacks have handled it, complimentary of, of them both getting news that they were benched and then supporting the other guy at different stages. He still likes Levis's potential. But, you know, at the end of the day, we got to see more out of this quarterback uh, position moving ahead. We're actually going to get to this in the mailbag question. What stood out to me most, though, um, aside from getting to hear him talk about the quarterback stuff, and he wouldn't really go into the, the, the reason for the changes. He said that's a question for Franklin, and Franklin has, has told us before the reason for the changes was because of turnovers. When you went to Levis, it was because Clifford was turning the ball over. When you went back to Clifford, it was because Levis was turning the ball over. And against Michigan, there were no turnovers to talk about. So that was a nice step. But, Sean, I think we both came away with the biggest takeaway. Basically, like, folks, I know there's frustration, but this is not a fully baked offense. This may not even be a half baked offense for what we what we are going to eventually see from Kirk Sharaka. And that may sound like a cop out to some, but it sounded pretty honest uh, to me over the course of the conversation. It is a half-baked offense in another version of that phrase. But yeah, it's. Uh, it, I don't think it's close to being in. And I think I've said that a couple of times this season. It's just it, it looks a lot like uh, uh, warmed over uh, Ricky Ronnie, what, what they were trying to do the last couple of years and sort of, okay, you know where you're at. You know what's going to be. And I think 
eventually when you do get to Kirk Shiraka's actual offense, they'll still have a lot of elements of what they've done the last couple of seasons and been successful with the last couple of seasons. But at the same time, you just uh, you watch this every week and you, you think, okay, Penn State went out and spent all this money on him. What what, what kind of happened? And you know, I, I agree with that. I think it's uh, it's been tough to implement that and and to do that when you know when you're not making mistakes is tough. But when you when you go out there and you throw picks and you you hand the ball to the defense, I mean that's Darn near impossible. So I, I don't know what uh, I don't know what the strides will be between here and now. I think spring certainly uh, will bring some promising uh, opportunities for them to work. I'm not sure, um, you know, what the the quarterback's going to ro- room is going to look like at that point. But at the same time, I mean, you just got to press on and get through what you can get. And I think that was probably what Kirk Shiraka was trying to to get across to the media this week. Is hey. I think we'll get there. It's just we're not there yet, and and to expect us to get there on a week to week basis is probably a little bit out of the the realm of possibility right now. Now he says they see it on the practice field coming together. He says that it can take a little while for that to cross over to game day, and that is a really tough pill to swallow for Penn State fans or fans of any football team when you hear that. Um, but you know that suggests that he likes where things are trending. He had he did reference that uh, he's been in the outhouse and in the penthouse over the course of his career, and it's it's often not a short walk when you're an offensive coordinator, and you can be that lightning rod kind of guy. And here at Penn State, he's facing a level of scrutiny, um, and and he'll face a level of of uh, excitement when the offense clicks that he has not faced before in his career with with any fan base. So you know he he knows he's under the under the gun here a bit. He knows he's he's the guy that is being counted it on to to deliver um, a a different looking Penn State offense, a more efficient Penn State offense, one that the quarterback can flourish in. Um, But he also was pretty realistic. Uh, And and one thing I think that people probably appreciated out of this conversation, Sean, he didn't throw out like, you know, unnecessary frivolous compliments towards position groups or or players just to do it. Um, He kind of said, look, we're 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 assessing this group. We're assessing this guy. We want to see improvements. He kept he kept, you know, Anytime he kind of went down like a path that was maybe a little too positive for where Penn State is, he would he would kind of pause and say, now again, do I like with where we're at? Am I pleased with where we're at? Absolutely not. He did that a few times just to reiterate like he didn't see some kind of alternate reality that fans are currently seeing. Um, and I think that you know that was that was a nice little bit of a kind of a just a transparency from this conversation with Kirk Sharaka. He did address the red zone issue, something that we have talked about on the show a few times. Uh, they're still under 50% on, on getting touchdowns out of red zone opportunities. They were over 70% each of the past three years. He was asked about the fades, Sean, um, and he said exactly what we heard from James Franklin. The fades looked great on the tra- in training camp. The fades have looked good on the practice field. Um, they're not getting it done in games. I believe that, that, that one of eight in the red zone on, on those fades to the end zone. So... Look, uh, we, we got a, a lot out of Kirk Shiraka. You're not going to get any quick fix answers, but kind of the, the vibes you get coming out of this is he's just like, give me a little more time. Let me, let me wrap my head around the group we have. Let me get more practice reps in with this group. We're going to be back where we need to be. Penn State's going to be uh, among the best in the Big Ten, and, and I'm going to be the guy that helps them get there. He sounded very confident. Um, and, and again, this was his first time facing the media and, and questions that weren't exactly, uh, of the positive variety, uh, back in September, there was a lot more optimism coming from him and from the, from the questions. Um, but again, I would recommend watching this for, for our listeners out there. And he's a sharp guy. I mean, you, I can't say that enough. I mean, if you, if you look at what Penn state's been doing and you say, this guy's an idiot, I mean, 
there's a mirror somewhere. I'm sure you can check out. Um, but it's, it's really been, it's been tough to watch because you put on the Minnesota tape, you know, you put on his time before that and it's just been, okay, this, you could see Penn state working this. And I think I put up a couple of clips before, um, you know, just things like sluggos and, uh, you know, how they beat, how Minnesota beat Indiana a couple of years. I mean, just these things that just kind of keep popping up and you can say, okay, I can see in this situation, uh, Jahan Dotson running this route and putting him there. I could see Will Levis turning in something that I tweeted last week with Joe Moorhead running sort of a QB power that turned into a pop pass. And it's just like that this is, these are the opportunities that are there. And you see what Penn State's doing and it's kind of not matching up with that. And I, it, I know I can see how it's frustrating, but Kirk's a smart guy. Uh, he should be able to, to handle this and, you know, given a full deck to work with, I think he'll be all right, but it's just a matter of getting there. And now part of that full deck, of course, is figuring out what, what his room looks like at quarterback moving forward. He talked about that a little bit this week. He's kind of, uh, I mean, you, you said he really didn't avoid any questions, but of course he's not going to come out in the middle of the season and say, okay, we got to get better. We got to look, you know, for other options and stuff like that in the off season. He's not going to come out and say that. I don't know why anybody would think he, that he would. Um, but that's an issue that, He's going to have to go with, and when we get into the spring, we get into the summer. That's something that you know can certainly go a long way in figuring out what the future of this offense is. His comments on Clifford and Levis were were certainly more geared towards their personality, handling adversity, their work ethic than it was about their performance as all around quarterbacks. Uh, in terms of the complimentary uh, kind of conversation that he had regarding those two players, and he certainly said that 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 turnovers were the issue, and he did feel like Clifford was pressing trying too hard to, to, to run the offense perfectly. And I know that's a weird thing to hear because we haven't seen anything close to that semblance, uh, but that, that's where he was with Clifford. That's where he felt like the, the biggest issues were through those first few games. And by the way, uh, Kirk Shiraka, one of those outhouse moments for him uh, was 2010, getting fired uh, at Rutgers. Rough year, a four-win season, but that was his third year at Rutgers. He started off as wide receivers coach. My last year with the program, he was a first-year wide receivers coach under Shiano. So there is a little bit of history here between Shiano, Kirk Sharaka. When we get back here, Sean, we're going to have Bobby Darren from Scarlet Nation. He's going to give us more on Rutgers, the, the players to know, the X factors, what could maybe let Rutgers down on, on a big stage for that program against Penn State. We're going to be back with our predictions, some recruiting trail notes, and a big development for the 2021 recruiting class. A player will be on campus next month that we were not sure was going to be on campus next month. And boy, is it a big addition for this roster. Stay with us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Well, I'm going back to my roots a bit here, back to the banks of the old rare tan where the Rutgers Scarlet Knights are two and four and doesn't sound great on paper, a record like that. But when you look at the recent track record for Rutgers, it, it, it is pretty impressive. And there's clearly momentum in place for Greg Schiano's squad. And it's first off, it's strange to say Greg Schiano's squad. Uh, going back to 2006, my first year as, as an mm-hmm. assistant with that program, Bobby Darren, who joins us right now, was covering the team back then. And, and we would have conversations out in front. Uh-huh. And I was I was kind of a, a gatekeeper of sorts, making sure that the prospects got through and the reporters <laughs> stayed on the other side of the barrier. And Bobby was one of those reporters. And and here we are you know, 14 years later. Right. Oceano is back and we've got an interesting yeah. matchup to discuss here. Yeah, you did a good job keeping the peace there, man. <laughs> Seattle is very strict on letting people in, so people don't know. I mean, you were you really were the gatekeeper, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 you know it's come full circle. Well, we have a lot to talk about because you know Penn State has taken a big step backward, Rutgers has taken a big step forward, and it feels like they're kind of meeting in the middle 
in this matchup. A, a lot of the predictions, including mine, are keeping this to a one-possession game, uh, one that's going to go deep into the fourth quarter. Let's start with the vibes there in, in New Brunswick and Piscataway. And I know that the campus isn't full right now, just like it's not full on any Big Ten campus. But what are the vibes right now among the Rutgers community, supporters of, uh, of Rutgers football? Because it's been a rough stretch. A lot of excitement. I mean, you finally have an offense now. You know, this was an offense that was averaging, you know, under six points a game last year. And, you know, all of a sudden you see they're upwards of 30 points a game now. Um, just the process, you know, just just winning games, being in games, being competitive. And after Purdue last week, it was kind of like Rutgers got over the hump because, you know, they lost in the last second to Illinois, Michigan, lost in triple overtime. And they finally figured it out in, in the fourth quarter. And and now it's kind of like, wow, we, we can really win these games. That's what the uh, the fan base and the players are thinking. Um it's just a lot of excitement because, you know, it's been a dramatic turnaround and everybody thought this rebuild would take a while. Uh, nobody envisioned victories over Michigan State and Purdue like this this early and, and taking Michigan to triple overtime and now going into a Penn State game considered with the chance to win. You know, it's it's just it's just been a dramatic turnaround. There's been a lot of discussion here in State College about the challenge to establish your culture in this year, being away from campus and having Zoom meetings instead of face-to-face meetings, not being able to be, as as Franklin says, as kind of a relational leader as he would like to be. But I'm watching the post-game locker room uh, excitement last week after the win over Purdue, and and I'm I'm thinking I'm like I'm like keeping an eye out for the McCordy twins and and Ray Rice and Mike <laughs> Teal because it was that kind of energy that that I remember taking place when when Shiano kind of led them over that hump in the mid 2000s. How has that been able to be developed? Because he shows up to campus in the winter within a couple of months, mm-hmm. everybody's scattered across the country. How has it come together so quickly? Well, like you said, he developed a culture and everybody bought in. You know, it's all about one another. They play for each other. And you look at guys that are playing well this year, the starting linebackers. Tyshawn Fogg was a four-star guy. Never really reached his potential under the former staff. Is playing really well this year. Olakunle Fatukasi is leading the Big Ten in tackles this year. You know, you didn't see that type of production under the previous coaches. And, you know, some of it was the development. Some of it was the buy-in. Some of it was the culture. It was a little combination of everything. And these guys have just bought into what Shiano's selling. And and uh, they've come together. And, and that's the amazing thing. You talked about them winning with Mike Teal and Ray Rice and guys like that. They're winning with some guys that are not going to go to the NFL, you know, guys that aren't draft prospects. So I think that's the exciting part is, is that the fans can see them winning and getting the most out of these players who really weren't guys that Greg Schiano recruited. So if they start getting higher levels of talent, you know, they, they really opens up the door of possibility for the future. I think from afar, when you look at Rutgers roster going into this year, it's kind of a, a group of misfit toys. You've got transfers from other Big Ten schools. Mm-hmm. You've got players who preceded Greg Schiano on campus. A, a lot of unknown commodities, guys who you thought maybe would leave the program after last season. Quarterback spot remains one that's really interesting, a bit of a mystery mm-hmm. box. You've got a few guys there. There's an injury involved. Can you bring us up to speed on what Rutgers is probably going to do against Penn State at that spot? Well, if Noah Vedro is healthy, he's going to be the starter. He's the one they brought in from Nebraska, and he's played well. Uh, he's had his ups and downs, but really kind of put it together in the Michigan game, uh, you know, threw for almost 400 yards, and you could see his progression there. But uh, they bring in Johnny Langan to run kind of a wildcat package where he's more of a power runner, and that's what they did last week against Purdue. I mean, Sean Gleason did a great job of changing the game plan at halftime. Langan had four rushes at the half, finished with 21 carries for 95 yards. They just couldn't stop him over the middle. They um, 
they basically just, you know, ran him over that we, we ran over him the whole second half. And, um, you know, you're going to see a mixture of that. Now the weather's supposed to be a factor too. It's supposed to be rainy and stormy and windy. So, you know, Rutgers doesn't have a great downfield passing game to begin with. I mean, they, they have some plays, they have their moments, but it's not considered a team with great receivers that are going to stretch the field, you know, kind of like the Ohio state guys do. And, and they just chuck it up. So you might, you might see some short passing game, but I think you're going to see Langan come in a lot and do a lot of running and, and they're going to look to, to really assert themselves on the ground. And, and the offensive line made the progression last week week they they've played better and they um you know they 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 really started to come alive and uh I, I think that's what you're gonna see a lot of this week. Bo Melton is a kid that I remember covering his recruitment pretty closely out of South Jersey had a lot of Big Ten opportunities goes to Rutgers and kind of always wondered if he was going to look elsewhere. He, he stuck it out and now he is among the Big Ten's leading receivers at this point of the season. Can you tell us a little bit about what makes him such a key component of the Rutgers offense and really across the board who are other weapons that Penn State fans should be aware of and more so the Nittany Lions defense should be aware of? Yeah, Melton is a guy who's a former four-star and, and it never really quite clicked under the old staff. He's another example of a guy who is really, this new staff has really gotten the most out of. A lot of it has to do with uh, wide receiver coach Taekwon Underwood too, who's done a really good job with uh, with those guys. But, um, you know, Melton always had that good straight line speed. I don't think they utilized him correctly with with the other staff, but they have some plays to get him open in space and use his speed. Um, he's done a really good job. Isaiah Pacheco is another guy you have to look out for. He's the running back, um, you know, just a tough runner. Um, you know, they're going to try to beat him a lot during the game. Uh, you know, the receivers, you have, you have a mix of guys. Aaron Krushank is, is a transfer from Wisconsin. Had a 100-yard kickoff return last week for a touchdown against Purdue. Has been effective in the passing game. Shamin Jones has come around the last few weeks, um, you know, starting to make a lot of plays in the receiving game. And you're starting to see these guys, you know, progress, whereas last year maybe 15 catches, 20 catches for the season, and it was just tough to watch on offense. And, and you're really starting to see them emerge. Uh, now, look, these aren't first round draft picks by any stretch of the imagination but these are guys that are starting to reach their full potential so uh they're kind of spreading the wealth on offense in that regard you see the different quarterbacks johnny langan comes in and it's more power running uh you know kind of rpo stuff uh mixed in there as well and noah vedrill also does some running too so if you see him playing he's going to do some running and uh he's he's the better thrower of the two obviously but um it's kind of a mixed bag with a lot of those guys you mentioned Crookshank, him and Melton both at 30 catches. Melton doing a lot more, 474 yards versus Crookshank's 216. But as you said, Crookshank will get it done as a return man. Kickoff return uh, against Purdue. He did it last year in the Rose Bowl. People probably remember his name from the Wisconsin roster last year when they played Oregon. 95-yard kickoff return for touchdown in the Rose Bowl, then transfers to Rutgers. Can we flip it over to defense? Because if there was a calling card when Shiano took this team into the top 10 rankings in the Big East, it was it was defense. It was defense that came up in key moments um, and then relied on, on, on quality offense that took care of the ball. What does that side of the field look like right now? Uh, you know, the defense has had its moments. The defensive line's been playing well. Uh, linebackers have been playing well. The secondary has been very inconsistent. Uh, that was an area I thought would be a little bit better this season, but they've had their struggles. Um, you know, it's a defense that can make some plays when it has to. It, it's not a unit that's going to come out and just power the team to wins. 
but uh, kind of a bend, not break at times. Um, so it, it, it's kind of a work in progress because Shiano's working with a lot of pieces that he didn't put there. But um, I mentioned the linebackers earlier, Ola Conley Fatukasi. They call him 03, which is, makes makes sense. I can't Sounds say easier. his name. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like I said, leading the Big Ten in tackles, been all over the field. Um, Shiano does a good job of disguising blitzes and, and, and bringing pressure from different areas. Um, it's not a unit, like I said, that's just going to go out and dominate. But uh, they find ways to, to you know, make things happen. The first game against um, – uh, Michigan State, they created six takeaways, you know, at seven total, one on special teams. And that was a big key in that victory. Chiano preaches turnovers, uh, takeaways. They stress it a lot, but it, it's really a, a product of all their guys doing their job. You're not going to have too many standouts. Um, it's just those 11 guys, you know, doing their job in unison. But, you know, like I said, they're not going to pitch a shutout, but they, they've played well enough for them to stay in some games. Shiano is obviously the the face of the franchise here for Rutgers, but the name that you're starting to hear a little bit more of, and I'd imagine this will be the case, and Rutgers is probably going to have to fight to keep him long term, Sean Gleason uh, as the offensive coordinator, the quarterback's coach. He's a, a former New Jersey high school player, not too far removed from coaching at Princeton just up the road, and then was at Oklahoma State last year. He's got some tricks up his sleeve. There's a creativity to to what he is doing with this offense. What stands out most through these first six games about kind of the jolt, you said the pulse that he's put into this offensive attack? You know, it's, he put a lot of trick plays in there. He's it, it, and he changes his game plan throughout and adjusts what to what the other team's doing. Like I mentioned against Purdue, you know, quarterback Johnny Langer rushed four times in the first half. They threw the ball twenty five times in the first half. I think they threw like five times in the second half. You know, he saw something there that was working, and you know, went in a twenty three thirteen deficit at the half and came out with a thirty seven thirty win. Um, so he does a really good job of adjusting his play calling to what the defense is giving him. He does a great job of catering to his players' needs or his players' strengths. I'm sorry. Um, you know, th- this isn't a team that's stacked with guys where you can just call any play and it works. You know, he has to be real creative and he's done that. And like I said, they've thrown a lot of trickery into it too. So it's, it's fun to watch for fans. And, um, you know, the production speaks for itself because even against Michigan State, they won 38 to 27. And their offensive line was getting beaten off the ball. So it's not common for a team to score that many points and even win the game or stay in the game when you're not dominating the line of scrimmage or winning the line of scrimmage. So he's been able to compensate for those deficiencies really well. 2014 in Piscataway, it was Rutgers' Big Ten debut, and you had Penn State making their Big Ten road debut with James Franklin as the coach and a sophomore quarterback and Christian Hackenberg. And that was a game where Rutgers controlled and, and had a lead late, and Hackenberg was able to rally Penn State, and, and, and offensively Rutgers had no solutions, no answers. That's as close as they've really gotten to, to making it a game against Penn State. Mm-hmm. There have been some lethargic performances out of the Nittany Lions, even 2017 when they had Saquon Barkley on the field. It was kind of a sleepwalk effect of uh, 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 these recent meetings for Penn State. They closed the deal, but I've said this I've said this about Penn State in my prediction that I put up on the site. If they're sleepwalking, then, then something's missing because there should be a sense of urgency for a one and five team. This is not the normal thing where we see Penn State near the end of the season looking toward a bowl game, double digit wins, and then you got Rutgers coming into town struggling. What do you think about this matchup? I mean, do you think this is a a true opportunity for Penn State to actually go down against Rutgers? And what would that kind of a result mean for Greg Schiano in year one? 
Well, first of all, the fan base would be ecstatic with a win over Penn State. Um, and I think, you know, the elements are setting up to, to where this is going to be a, a it's going to be a close game. You know, it's it's not going to be a game where, where you're going to see those big fancy plays. You know, it's, it's going to be rainy. It's going to be windy. It's going to be chilly. It's it's going to be an ugly atmosphere for the game. So um, I, I think it's a perfect scenario for Rutgers to finally jump into the win column. They're playing off a lot of momentum from last week. Um you know, and they're just they're starting to believe. And when you get a team that starts to believe like that and it's coming together, you know, they can do a lot of good things. Before our listeners start piling up the the Homer label on me, I know this is not a perfect Scarlet Knights program. <laughs> so what are the biggest deficiencies that could derail Rutgers from competing in this one? Maybe maybe cause them to fall flat on, on a bigger stage here. Look, this is not a team where it's going to have an offensive line that dominates the game. Um, as I mentioned, against Michigan State, they won by 11 points and, and didn't win the line of scrimmage. So if they don't win that line of scrimmage, it, it could be a long day because, you know, with the rain and the wind that's supposed to, to take place that day, they're not going to be able to do a whole lot in the passing game. So, um you know, if they can't get that running game going, you could look at a lot of three and outs. And, you know, the defense is susceptible to giving up big plays. Um, they don't consistently get pressure. Uh, I don't know how the passing game is going to go with the elements, but, um, you know, if they're unable to to bring pressure into the backfield, you know, Penn State's going to be able to do some things. Um, there are definitely some things that could go wrong. Um, Rutgers has got some some good bounces with takeaways in their wins. Um, they've had some big plays at 100-yard kickoff return last week. So um, if you don't have those type of plays, they had a 62-yard um, pass play to K. Ron Adams, which is it was basically they were running the ball and uh, Purdue stacked the box and, and they caught him sleeping and, and just slipped one out there. So you have two big plays there. If you don't get those big plays, you know, you're not talking about a win last week. So if they don't have them this week against Penn State, you know, it could make for a long day. Let's leave you with, with this. Uh, Rutgers wins if, Rutgers loses if, and then give us your prediction if you don't mind, Bobby. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, they lose it. Like I said, stick on that. Um, they lose if they don't control line of scrimmage. If they can't run the football in the weather elements, it's it's going to be a long day. They have to be able to run the ball with some type of consistency. Um, without it, it's going to be a long day. Uh, it, they win um, if they can establish some offensive flow. By that, I mean running, mixing a little bit of passing, keep the ball moving, avoid those three and outs. The defense is going to have to do that bend, not break type of play. Um, don't have to be dominant, but just have to be complemented a little bit. And they're going to have to get a couple takeaways that Rutgers plays well at takeaways I think the talent level or the talent gap is still big enough where they're going to need some of those plays to to bridge the gap if you will um if if Rutgers loses a turnover battle I I don't see them winning but you know I'm going to go with the homer pick and and say they pulled us one out Uh, Greg Schiano's uh got them believing and a a team believing like that with momentum you know anything can happen so I'll go ahead and say this is the year they finally get it done um since it's an ugly game, I pick an ugly score. I, I eighteen to, to sixteen or something like that. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not big on uh, you know exact numbers, but <laughs> I think it'll be uh, like I said, a, a, an ugly atmosphere that day, and and um, you, you're going to see a lot of. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of balls bouncing and and some miscues because of it. But uh, I'm going to go with the home team. If it is that ugly score and that ugly result here in Happy Valley, it's going to be a very ugly message board for us to, to deal with online 24-7. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, as I said, it feels like, unlike in years past, this one uh, 
a lot of people are kind of believing the pendulum could swing either way. And it's just, it's strange to think about in the context of Penn State versus Rutgers over the years of it really being viewed in that perspective. But that's the way this 2020 season has gone. Bobby, really appreciate it seeing Piscataway. Yes. And um, again, we, we appreciate your time giving us the lowdown on, on these Scarlet Knights and look forward to the matchup at noon on Saturday. Anytime, Tyler. All right, there's the lowdown from Bobby. We appreciate that. Now time for our predictions, Sean. You can start us off here. Well, I was, I'll was i play spoiler early and say all three of us picked Penn State. Mark Brennan was 34-24, all, all kind of in the same spot, which is kind of scary considering we've all kind of been in the same spot all year wrong and obviously have not been uh, <laughs> on point. Uh, I have 30-22 to 22 Penn State. Uh, not sure how it ends up like that. I think the weather plays into it. I think Penn State runs the ball successfully, uses those tight ends and does some things. I think they – I don't know that this is going to be a game full of big plays, but you know I think they'll be able to – uh, hopefully neutralize the Rutgers running game. And I, I think it'll be closer than the spreads. Uh, I think what 11 and a half right now per William Hill. Um, but I think that uh, the Penn state should, should be able to rise to this occasion. I think we are both two and four as predictors. So not, not doing too well. We, I think we both got Iowa and, and Ohio state, right beyond that uh, kind of coming up empty, but uh, I got 31, 27 Penn state pulling this one out. I, I do think, uh, I do think I, I made this pick before I realized that weather was going to be such a, a an issue. I, I'm kind of inclined to maybe lower that score a little bit, maybe on the Rutgers end, uh, but I'll stick with it. Cause that's what I wrote on, on Wednesday and sent it to Mark. So 31, 27, uh, I think we're, going to see multiple touchdowns for Penn State freshmen. Um, I do I do believe that you're going to see the the difference between these two programs and where they are right now at their development shine through in the trenches. And I'm going to call my shot here. I, I feel like I probably haven't thrown it his way that much this year. I'm going to say Jason Owe has his most impactful game of the of the 2020 season. Um, not just because he's back in New Jersey, just because I think he is also the kind of uh, example of the superior athleticism that, that Penn State has in some key spots against Rutgers. Superior talent right now. Greg Schiano is going to have to work these next few years to try to, to, to rise that talent level up against these other Big Ten East teams. But um, 31-27 is my pick, and Mark went 34-24. And, and Penn State has not reached 30 points in regulation uh, this year. So that would be a change of pace if that were to occur. Kickoff at noon. I will be there uh, in Piscataway on Saturday. Sean will be holding it down in State College. And when this game goes final and we get through our post-game po- uh, post-game availabilities, we'll get to our post-game podcast and, and we'll give you our thoughts on the uh, the results from Rutgers. And I feel like that's important to note is where after the game, you got to get Franklin. We got to get the players and things like that. People are asking for the podcast 45 minutes after the game ends. That's just Which not we, how it's we appreciate work, it. So. We're glad we that appreciate you want it. it. No, yeah, yeah. We want, we're we certainly glad that you want it. But uh, yeah, we got to get, get a little bit of a buffer there between game time and or between the final whistle and, and the podcast comes out. But uh, as Tyler mentioned, we do appreciate you listening to it and listening to us uh, every time that we're on this week. Yeah. Um, tr- recruiting trail and recruiting is going to be something that that's takes more of a spotlight soon with with the early signing period coming up and we'll talk about it a lot more where we're working to get several Penn State commits on the show in the upcoming weeks and into January and as we shift into the offseason mode and recruiting again it, it takes more precedence but right now you're seeing that shift already and and Sean has a story up on Thursday evening uh, in collaboration with Steve Wiltfong the, the national recruiting director for 24/7 sports where momentum moving in the right direction 
with Duke wide receiver commit Harrison Wallace, a recent addition to the four-star territory in 24-7 sports rankings, a recent Nittany Lions offer out of Alabama. Sean, what are your thoughts there? Well, first off, my thoughts are that signing day is 12 days away, which is ridiculous to think about because we're still not in the middle of the season, but you you usually have some sort of buffer there. You expect official visits to come through. It's obviously not. And by the way, the the wheels are turning out there on the trail. I mean, you look at what's going on right now. And as we said in the podcast earlier this week, there's a lot of movement across the country as guys are maybe not fitting into classes as much as they thought they were and all of a sudden are moving on, quote unquote, moving on from their commitments and and opening things back up. Um, One of those guys who committed this fall, kind of a senior riser, Harrison Wallace, wide receiver from Alabama, committed to Duke a couple of days after they offered. It was really his first big time FBS offer. And I uh, got a couple since then. South Carolina, I've got obviously they don't have a, a full staff right now to work with. Maryland, a couple other schools have come through and offered. But Penn State came through with an offer in November, really caught his eye. And I think this is a guy that's uh, fairly naive to the recruiting process. But, it, you know, he said it to Steve Wiltfong whenever he, he got offered. That's one that, you know, certainly came through and was it really grabbed his attention. And I think it grabbed his attention enough that I'm putting in a crystal ball pick where I actually have already put in a crystal ball pick for Penn State. Steve Wiltfong has done the same. Uh, Adam Rowe from our Duke site has also done the same. And, and I think there's a good chance that Penn State finds its third receiver out of Alabama. It's been interesting that they've, you know, I don't want to say hit Alabama hard, but uh, you've got Harrison Wallace there. You've got Deshaun Morrell down the road in Pike County and really have done uh, a lot of their work out of the uh, the realm of, uh, I guess, the comfort of the region. And that's uh, a couple of guys that could end up in this class long term. Uh, I guess long term means 12 days from now or uh, in Morell's case, he's going to uh, announce on that Friday of the, the last day of the signing period. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they can grab some momentum in Alabama. They've, you know, not, haven't had a ton of success there, but have grabbed some players from down there in the past. So <laughs> I like where Penn State stands, and I apologize for whatever that was. It just came out of my mouth. Um, but I, I like where Penn State stands there going into uh, the first signing day. What was that that just came out of your mouth? I have no idea. That was like a, a, a an inhale and an exhale at the same time, and it just did not work for anybody, and I thought I was having a little bit of a heart <laughs> Let's attack there, it. So Let's I'm, flush it and move forward. Let's just flush um, that. You've oh, been all boy. over the Morrell uh, situation since that offer went out and, and, and before the offer went out for him when, when communication was building. And Wouldn't that just be the ultimate, like – no one knows what's happening in the, in the 2021 recruiting trail of Penn State finishes with these exclamation points and a couple four stars out of Alabama when this is all said and done. That would be something. Uh, the, another four star, Sean, that, that has Penn State among his finalists, he's set to announce January 2nd as part of an All-American uh, announcement ceremony. Deontay Anderson out of Fort Meade, Florida. Uh, he has a top six here. He tells Steve Wiltfong of Georgia Tech. Mississippi State, Nebraska, Penn State, South Carolina, Central Florida. I mean, whoa, that's a mix. Uh, is this is, is, a, is this is something? Is this nothing? Is this maybe something with Deontay Anderson, who, who as I mentioned, four-star defensive end out of Fort Meade? I'm going to file it under maybe something because you look at uh, defensive end, and that's obviously a huge need for Penn State. Now, obviously, they've gravitated to guys – um, that, that are bigger. Davon Townley is a big guy in terms of length and things like that. Uh, Deontay Anderson, probably about 6'3". So, I mean, not a short guy, but for that position, fairly short guy. So um, he's going to announce on the second. I'll, I'll file it under maybe something. I still think that Townley's the guy that they would really like to get on campus in the next couple of weeks and make some things happen. But uh, uh, I don't think you can trust that uh, coming to fruition just all at once. It's been it's been interesting because I was talking to, to another uh, coach in another college, and, and he said – 
I don't think these kids realize how close this signing day is. And you want to sneak in visits and stuff. It's not easy to do in December, especially to places, you know, if you're from Minnesota going to Penn State, December is not exactly the ideal time to do that. Um, but at the same time, I think it's sneaking up on everybody because this season has been running so long. Uh, we, we will see about Deontay Anderson. We'll see if that means that he plans on signing with a school in December and announcing uh, on in early January. We've seen that from guys in the past. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, Penn State has made up some ground there. And that's just, you mentioned it, that top six is is pretty well random, and and Penn State is one of those ones that sticks out when you take a look at uh, in terms of the clout of the of the offers that uh, he has listed there. I think Penn State makes sense uh, from that from that measure. But again, it's a kid that's never been to campus as as we've sort of documented throughout this whole uh, this whole shutdown. The early signing period set for December sixteenth. Sean mentioned sneaking up on us. It's sneaking up on prospects. I have a sneaking suspicion that we're going to see a lot of these recruits whether they already went on the record with a commitment date for December or not, say, okay, hold on. Uh, let's talk in February. I'll, I'll let you know in February. I just, I have a feeling we're going to see that. I think that's the right move for a lot of these players. And I also think that opens a lot of opportunities for coaching staffs that have been trying to not just juggle a season that has been pushed back into the early signing period. I mean, we don't know what the matchup will be, but this Big Ten Championship Week is occurring over the course of this of the early signing period. We're not used to a game week on the early signing period. What does that mean? You're going to have an opportunity for these staffs to be unleashed a little bit from not just coaching up their programs, but also coaching up their programs in the COVID era and dealing with all those protocols and everything that goes into it. I'm not saying that recruiting has been on the back burner or recruiting has not been addressed by coaching staffs, whether it's Penn State or elsewhere, but there'll be a lot of more open opportunities to engage in, in a deeper way, I think, in January. And I hope prospects and their parents don't rush into decisions in December, particularly with programs that they haven't visited yet. I just, I, I hope they don't feel like they owe anybody anything and, and they push pause. I do believe that it's going to be really interesting to see coaching staffs across the country shuffle, reshuffle the decks, put together a target board, prioritize things for how they want to handle post December 18th to that first Wednesday in February, because I think that's where you're going to see a lot of really interesting movement that could come to define the, the way this 2021 class ends across college football. And I think if you're mapping it out in a perfect world, that makes sense. But I, I don't know that that's how that's that's going to go to plan. And and I don't know. I think we see some sharp movement. We're already seeing it with schools dumping commits and things like that. And now all of a sudden, these guys that have been dumped think, okay, maybe I got to get in on a school in December because you know maybe that option's not going to be there in February or January, or maybe, you know, I've already been dumped once, you know, I, I got to get a signature somewhere that way I'm, I'm safe. And I think that's something that could maybe scare prospects into making decisions fairly quickly. That's exa exactly what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you, I'm not saying that it, that won't happen. I'm saying, I hope it doesn't happen because this year of all years, I hate when that happens any year, this year of all years, I think that is just tremendously unfair way for anyone to approach it. The NCAA has put this situation in such a bind and and for college coaching staffs to be applying more pressure to what is already a pressure packed situation, especially with a prospect who has never been on your campus and you've never actually shaken the kid's hand or looked his parent face to face in person, that is really reckless in my opinion. Yeah, and and I think I agree with you. I mean, it, it's a it's an ideal scenario to to do what you're saying, but it's it's obviously not how it, how it often is it is it ideal on the recruiting trail? Though, exactly, right? so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with with that. And and another thing. I mean, extending it to January is, is nice because you can get an idea of where you actually stand on boards and things like that, but you're not going to get out. You're not going to 
be able to take an official visit. You're not going to be able to meet the, the staff on campus or anything like that. So that's another layer that goes into that and say, okay, if I'm 80% sure right now, maybe I have to be 100% sure by December 16th. I, I, it, it's very, it's a very tricky wire to walk. And I don't envy those kids at all, to be honest with you. Yeah. Is it kicking the can down the road or is it actually an exploratory process? Because normally you'd be able to book some official visits, some flights, some travel plans. That ain't happening unless you're going to go on your own dime and take the initiative to travel and, and get a parent on board or somebody on board with you. Maybe it, it's, it's a lot to wade through and we'll talk more about that. Um, on a positive note here, a big development for Penn State on the 2021 front with Landon Tangwall, who committed back in late March and kind of started off a, a spring spree of commitments for this Penn State class, which has really shaped the group. Uh, he is enrolling early, Sean, and this is something that we broke on, on 24, online 24-7 on Thursday. It's a conversation that I had with Landon about a month or so ago where this is where it was trending. But he was cautious to go public with it. He was cautious for for us to report anything on it because it wasn't finalized. And he said he doesn't know if anybody's done this out of Good Counsel High School in Maryland. Uh, The WCAC conference down there, it's not something that they subscribe to um, in terms of early enrollment, early graduation. Uh, Guys go through their spring uh, semester of high school and then end up on campus in June. This is huge for him. He says he feels like it could set up his career in an entirely different way than what it otherwise would have looked at. Good for him for being academically prepared to make this kind of late adjustment. Good for the administration at Good Counsel um, for acclimating to the circumstances where there was no fall football schedule. What is the kid really benefiting? How you know what what is the positive that's going to come from forcing Landon Tengwall not to enroll early when when school system is what it is right now in 2020 going into 2021? So big jump for him. He's going to be here in January. Uh, I believe the the uh, early enrollees, seven of them now, are on campus on Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend. So that's the 18th, 19th, I believe. He said, look, it's, I've always wanted to be a guy who goes in and targets a starting job as a true freshman, but even I understood that if I wasn't getting to campus till June, that was a really unrealistic deal. He thinks going in at January is going to give him an opportunity, maybe not to start, but to make an immediate impact for this team, get to work with Phil Troutwine, show what he's about. We've talked about it already. He's, he's one of those kind of kids who's ready to roll. You know, you're kind of... It's just a different offensive line prospect than than you often see, and we've been saying this for probably a year or two, or you know, it's really since I got to know Landon a little bit uh, early in his high school career. He's always been like a tailor made, immediate impact kind of player. This really helps that case. Well, if you listen to the podcast and you've listened to when we've had Landon on, you know he doesn't lack confidence. That's for sure, <laughs> and I think he's as physically prepared as anybody that's come in the last few years. It's probably a similar situation to what Connor McGovern was a couple of years ago. And Connor McGovern ended up starting eventually as a true freshman. Now they, they worked him in there and I could see a scenario where that plays out for Tengwall. Uh, not sure where the, the two deep looks next year or going into spring. Obviously some moving parts that, that, that could play a factor in that. I think he'll start at tackle. They're, he's a guy that they think could play all five positions. And certainly that flexibility has, we've seen that with guys like Caden Wallace. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see where he stands in, uh, at the end of spring. Um, physically, I mean, I think he's ready to go. Confidence, I think is there. Uh, technical standpoint uh you know he's got some work to do there and and the mentality to come in and and play right away is one thing but 
you know, the, the actual realization when you get into a college weight program, when you get into a college practice is, is much different. So if he can handle those things, I certainly think he can play right away. We've talked to, uh, you know, I think all cycle long that this kid's floor is, is massively high. He's one of the best high school offensive linemen in, linemen in the country. And I think he can come in and, and make an impact right away. Now, does that mean he's going to come in and start? Not necessarily, but I think he's got an opportunity to come in and start pushing much, much earlier than some of those guys that we've seen come in over the last couple of years. Very difficult to ever anticipate a true freshman lineman on either side of the football starting, as particularly going into their, their first season on a college campus. You just don't really see that. I mean, we're making a pretty big deal about redshirt freshman Caden Wallace, a former top 100 prospect, making his mark here uh, in year number two. We saw Rasheed Walker do that in year number two. And by the way, Rasheed Walker and, and Michael Mennett, two current starters, are the only linemen who've been rated higher than Landon Tengwall during the James Franklin era. So this is uh, one of the premier prospects that they have brought in. It was a big win that Tyler Bowen was a part of. Bowen was recruiting Tengwall early on in his freshman year, maybe even before his freshman year, uh, on behalf of the Maryland Terrapins. That relationship transitioned. He had Phil Troutwine come in in the winter and, and, and help them get to the finish line. And say what you will about uh, about Tengwall uh, being vocal and, 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 and being a guy who's all over social media, that's, I mean, that's turned out to be a, a good thing for Penn State over the last few weeks because he's been on there after these tough games, and he's no, he knows he's going to hit by Maryland fans. He's he's going to get hit by maybe Notre Dame fans or, or or others in the Big Ten conference. But he goes out there after every one of those tough losses and and basically reaffirms his commitment to the Penn State program, and he has never wavered on that commitment. He told us, you know, he's done a lot of research. This is a kid who traveled all over the country when he wanted to commit. He wanted to be fully committed, and he has backed that up. He says he's excited to sign. Um, and, and, and I think him, Christian Veyu, they're going to be roommates. Those are two guys that have come to mind that after every one of those painful, painful Penn State losses over the course of uh, late October into November, they've gone to social media almost immediately afterwards and said something encouraging about the program and its future. Yeah, and that's, uh, it's going to be big for those guys, you know, for all the criticism you've gotten in 2020, uh, excuse me, in 2021, it's not about the guys that you have on board and, and they got to really maximize uh, the 14 or the, yeah, the 14 guys that they 14 have right now. now. Yeah. So, um, it's certainly going to be something that, uh, you know, for the spring, you, you've got opportunity there all over the roster. I mean, given how things have gone and how long this season has been, I think you, you're going to see some shuffling. You're going to see some things, uh, move, uh, move around after the season. And you've got guys that can come in and, and, and make some things happen. Uh, you know, you look at some spots. Obviously, Tangwall is a guy that we've talked about. Vayu is in there. Nate Bruce is going to come in. I don't see Nate Bruce as a guy that can step in right away and play. Um, but, uh, you look on the other side of the ball. Kalen King's a guy that, you know, certainly could step in. And we talk about, uh, where Penn State's been at corner. They've needed bodies at corner. Obviously, Joseph Johnson's not the guy that's ready to go, but I think Kalen King is certainly a guy that you could look to as a, a potentially a potential splash guy and get on the field as a true freshman. Now, there's obviously some traffic ahead of him in that class that's a, a couple of years older than him, but at the same time, I mean, this is a, this is a really good opportunity for a guy like Kalen King. Couple other defensive backfield additions that are anticipated in January: Zaki Wheatley, Jeff Davis. Um, so some reinforcements coming, and just around the corner again. It feels like the timeline feels off, like we said with the early signing period. It feels off with the early enrollees too, because there's only going to be a matter of like, you know, three or four weeks between the end of this season and, and when these guys are are actually on campus. So a uh, big opportunity for for some of these players, including Landon Tengwall. We have a write up on, on Landon. Um, and, and his anticipation uh, and his expectations for what he's going to do at Penn State 
up on lines 24-7. Appreciate his time as always, and I think we'll have him on the podcast uh, one more time before he gets uh, to campus. Uh, always nice to have him on because uh, he gives us the lowdown and, and uh, just an interesting guy. Look forward to interviewing him when he's uh, on the Penn State roster uh, down the road. Sean, one other thing I wanted to mention before we get away from recruiting, Bo Perbula, I just want to encourage folks to go over to Lions 24-7. Check out the highlight film. It's a full highlight film he put up from his junior year. 46 touchdowns in 11 games. Got it done with his legs as usual, but the the big thing here was him getting it done as a passer. Last year, 18 total touchdowns, about 1,500 total yards. Such such a tremendous leap here as a junior. New offensive scheme. First program from York County to reach a state championship game. Uh, Central York got to the 6A state title a couple weekends ago. Lost to Philadelphia Powerhouse St. Joe's pretty convincingly. But Bo Perbula put together an incredible body of work over the course of this junior year. Should make you feel very good, and I think it should probably make a case uh, for for 24-7 sports to consider a rankings adjustment down the road. I think he's certainly made his case for it. Um, obviously, we want to see him throw a little bit. Uh, you know, you, you kind of look at where he – I don't want to say doesn't check the boxes, but like you you probably where you have the most questions about him is arm strength and you know accuracy and things like that. So I uh, had an awesome season, was absolutely fantastic. Don't want to take anything away, but I think he will be under consideration for that four-star. I think you know seeing him live would, would probably go a long way, and, and I think Brian Doan has probably echoed that the times that we've had him on to talk about Perbula as well. I've said before when asked on the on the message board on Lions 24-7 about Perbula, will he get a bump? And I usually defer to Brian. Here's what Brian said. But I also said, the I think, where he could really make that leap and use it as a launch pad would be if we see some kind of Elite 11 quarterback camps going on across the country this spring. That will be an opportunity to get eyeballs on him in person among some of his top peers in the region, across the country perhaps. And you can really gauge where he is as a, as a passer, where he is mechanically. That, to me, is a major opportunity for Bo Perbula. We don't know if those kind of camps are going to be feasible in 2021. They weren't for the most part in 2020. But I think that would be a, a really a potential launching pad for Bo Perbula on the national scene. But Penn State fans becoming very familiar with his name at this stage. Stay on the quarterback theme because we got one for a five-star mailbag on the quarterback, Sean. And this was just too fun to pass up. Uh, from our old friend Fitz's Burner dropping this on Apple Podcasts for the five-star mailbag. And here it is. Buckle up. Would you risk a 5-5 five and five season and the positives that come from that with recruiting and momentum and keep the current QBs or stay at one win so Penn State can shop in the transfer portal for maybe a guy like Central Florida's Mackenzie Milton or Minnesota's Tanner Morgan? Basically, would a season turnaround be better than a 1-8 year where there's no option but to shop for a quarterback? And this is where I remind folks, there is no draft order. In college football, the big secret here is you can go five and five and still look for another quarterback for next year. That's the biggest thing to take away from that. And you don't have to do it all that publicly. You don't have to do it in a situation where everybody knows that you're hitting the transfer market. And that's really what they've done the last couple of years. Is explore. I mean, it's it. They haven't hit the portal hard, but it's not that they don't take a look at these guys and they don't evaluate where they stand and and, and where they you know how they could help the team. So I I. I I love you, Fitz's burner, and obviously a great name. <laughs> um, but I, I just don't see the relevance to this because you can go five and five, you can get momentum, and you can still recognize the problems that you have in the quarterback room, and you know the way that uh, certainly they played over the first five weeks of the season can't be ignored. So I think that's probably the the, the thing to take away from it. I mean, if, if it's an either or scenario, I think going one and eight 
could really have some serious, serious problems for you down the road, especially 2022 as those guys are allowed to start visiting schools in April. Um, certainly could really torpedo any of that momentum that you have. So you'd like for Penn State to win out. Obviously, everybody would like for Penn State to win out. But I still think even if you win out, you you know the problems that you have on your roster. You know the, the holes that you've shown in this, in this uh, shortened season. And you can still address them without just full-on – you know, going out and saying, hey, we need to find a quarterback in the portal. I mean, you, you can work those back channels, and that's kind of how it works anyway. So uh, Mackenzie Milton popped up this week. Uh, I know Tanner Morgan's been brought up, but I don't really see that scenario playing out. But Milton's a guy that I think you you get you owe it to your team, you owe it to yourself to, to take a look at, and I think they'll do that. And I, does that necessarily mean that they're going to be in it for Milton or Milton doesn't already have something planned. I think I've, I've read that he wants to be at a college in January to start, but uh, it, you know, it makes sense and you can do that without uh, really, I don't want to say without being up front, but I mean, the, the, those coaches do a lot of work in that building by themselves that we don't hear about. And I think that that's really how you can sort of come out of this and, and, and play both sides. Milton, a couple of years removed from live football action too. So that's something you've got to address and see where he's at uh, physically right now. Um, um, but but yet, yeah, look, Oklahoma won 12 games the year before they brought in Jalen Hurts. That worked out pretty well. Uh, Georgia won 12 games before they went and got a former five-star in JT Daniels, who transferred out of Southern Cal. There is not a correlation between wins and your ability. In fact, I think you're probably lessening your opportunities to, to go and pursue a quarterback who wants to come in and, and compete at a high level and, and compete for titles if you just come off a one-win season. So I, I don't see that correlation. You already addressed that, Sean. But uh, whether it's five wins or one win, um, you know the, the transfer portal quarterback market is something we're going to be watching closely this year with, with Penn State. And I said this in the last podcast, regardless of how Sean Clifford finishes this, whether you you get two more games or whether you get three more games with whatever the big 10 championship week or even four more games with some kind of bowl i have no idea how that's all going to work out but i'm not sure there's anything sean clifford can do over the rest of this season to convince you to head into this winter and go into next spring thinking he's your slam dunk starter and it's like a set it and forget it situation and then the rest of what you're doing is trying to cultivate the the rest of the room I just feel like there's going to be a competition here. You've got a quarterback coach who, you know, Christian Bayou is the first guy he's bringing in personally. So I, I think that the transfer market's interesting to watch, and I don't think it has anything to do with, with wins or losses. And you want to win as many games as possible if you're Penn State for recruiting purposes. And I think it makes you a, a better option on the transfer market for people to see a, a healthy coaching staff and a healthy program that, that that is maybe on the rise a little bit compared to where they were early in the season. But an interesting question and one that I just simply could not keep off of this podcast, Sean. So thank you, Fitz's Burner. Um, last, last thing at the quarterback spot, you mentioned it a bit earlier, Trace McSorley, first NFL opportunity, first pass thrown in an NFL game. Uh, I think it was, he took one snap last year in regular season finale, uh, but he got in there threw a 70 yard touchdown that Hollywood Brown did much of the work on. Uh, But nonetheless, cool to see Trace out there. He took a shot along the sidelines, picking up a first down on a run, got up, said something back to the defender, kind of took you back to, to, you know, enjoying watching Trace McSorley play for those years at Penn state. Just, just uh, an incredible competitor, a kid that, that I really appreciated win or lose watching him play and then Speaking with him after those games, hard not to really appreciate what that kid means to a, a locker room. Um, not a kid anymore, I guess. He's an NFL quarterback in his second year, and I think he's making a case you know, long-term to maybe be the Ravens' primary backup. Uh, it's a very small sample size, but I, I don't know where they feel RG3 is at this stage in his career. And the cool thing here was, Sean, 
as Trace McSorley is throwing that touchdown, we're getting James Franklin on for our, our post-practice Wednesday call, and that was what I asked him about. Uh, you know, we just saw this. Did he hear about this? Like, it, w- it was an interesting how it played out. Not used to seeing NFL games go down to the wire uh, during Wednesday evening pre- uh, media sessions with James Franklin, much less ones that involve Trace McSorley in, in a Baltimore Ravens uniform. Yeah, and uh, as a guy that's sitting here looking at a closet that has an RG3 jersey in it, although a different oh. color, um, yeah, I think he certainly does deserve the the shot to to push for that. I mean, obviously nobody's going to unseat Lamar Jackson anytime soon, but uh, you know Trace is a guy that can be in the league for for several years and really pr- you know profit from that. So it was just really cool to see and really cool to see the uh, the outpouring of support and obviously the Ravens playing quite shorthanded this week, but to to see him in there and sort of hold his own because so often we see quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks go in and they're just absolutely overwhelmed. He didn't seem absolutely overwhelmed against one of the best defenses in the league. So it's just really cool to see uh, him be successful and him sort of get out there. And and obviously, the uh, you know, he, he owes a little bit to his receiver on that touchdown, but at the same time, uh, took care of the football against uh, a great, great defense. You just wonder why it took so long. I think RG3 came up hobbled at the end of the first half, and he didn't put McSorley in until the second to last possession for the Baltimore. The best part was all the texts like, oh, RG3, he, he's hurt. He's hurt. He's going to go. And then he that comes was back. Me. It's just, it was you? It, <laughs> no, it was like six different group texts that I'm in um, where it's just kind of like the anticipation of seeing McSorley. And yeah. obviously – Wednesday afternoon football, you know, that everybody's watching, I guess. Uh, it, it, it was just really cool to see and, and really cool to see him be successful and, and not, uh, not just, uh, completely make a fool out of himself as, as we've seen some other quarterbacks, uh, over the years that have done that. Oh, on a weekly basis, we see professional quarterbacks make fools of themselves. So good on Trace McSorley. We'll see what the rest of this season, uh, we don't even know if Lamar Jackson's available for their game against the Cowboys. So something to monitor there. And I said this before, by the way, when I predicted the Baltimore Ravens to draft Trace McSorley in the 2019 draft, Sean, I, I said, that's a good spot to be a backup quarterback because the way Lamar Jackson plays football, you don't know how many times he's going to get to 16 games in a season, uh, if at all. So that, that, that's something that's a good spot to be the backup quarterback. Uh, you're behind an NFL MVP. That's not great if you want to play a lot of football. But the way Lamar Jackson plays, that can open the door for you. And it doesn't have to be with the Baltimore Ravens. You get some NFL film out there. There's 31 other franchises out there that at some point might need a quarterback. So it's important to get that film. He's starting to get some. So congrats to Trace McSorley. Sean, it's been a marathon episode. You gave me the green light to talk about Rutgers. And and remarkably, you were very low on one-liners, at least on air with this recording. Is there anything else you'd like to throw on? No, just keep your phone on you this weekend. I'll I'll have them flying, I'm sure. (laughs) Perfect. Well, I'll be making the trip to Piscataway, like we said. We'll be back with you for a post-game podcast after Rutgers and Penn State. Thanks, as always, for listening. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, subscribe, all that good stuff, and drop your five-star mailbag question on Apple Podcasts. Stay informed on lines247.com, and that's all we got for you today. We'll talk to you soon.